world is very broken right now. People are in a lot of pain and therefore open to all kinds of explanations for that pain. I think you got to take this stuff seriously. Hi, I'm Andrew Goldstein, and this is The Art Angle, a podcast from Artnet News where the art world meets the real world, bringing each week's biggest story down to earth. This week, the story we're going to delve into is a bizarre one, and we're doing so with a good deal of trepidation. That's because it involves a colossal conspiracy theory germinated in the dark corners of the far-right internet whose toxic tentacles spread everywhere, from Bill Gates to a ring of supposed Satanists who rule Hollywood, all the way to the power brokers and, yes, the pizza parlors of Washington, D.C. The only reason we're diving into this miasma is because it just so happens to also involve one of the most prominent contemporary artists alive— Marina Abramovich. For people in the art world, Abramovich needs no introduction, but here goes anyway. A 72-year-old Serbian-born performance artist, Abramovich won the 1997 Golden Lion for Best Artist at the Venice Biennale, and since then has become the single most famous performance artist in the world, known for pushing her body to the limit with punishing occult-infused pieces that toy with life, death, and the spirit world. Ten years ago, She changed the course of art history when her MoMA show, The Artist is Present, drew blockbuster crowds at once moving performance art from the fringes to a central spot in the culture where she has since done these high-profile collaborations with stars like Jay-Z and Lady Gaga. So how did she get dragged into a far-right conspiracy theory? It's complicated. Luckily, Artnet News chief art critic Ben Davis has done the hard work of deciphering the situation for an article that just may change the way you think about conspiracy theories. I'm happy to have him back on the show. So thanks very much for coming back on the Art Angle again, Ben. Well, I've got nowhere else to go except down the rabbit hole. Well, that's the attitude. Okay. What is it that set you off on this whole investigation? Well, uh, this is actually uh, a sideline I have, I guess, um, because in recent years, these emerging internet conspiracy theories have been one way that contemporary art has been part of the political discourse. And that's been a theme going on at least five years. But the immediate incident was on April 10th, Microsoft released an ad online a promo for their HoloLens 2 mixed reality headset, which is augmented reality gear that you put on that allows you to see digital objects, digital events mixed in with real life. And they released this promotional video that starred the performance artist Marina Abramovich. And it was a promotion for a work that she'd done called The Life, which uh, uses the mixed reality technology and actually was a cross-promotion with Christie's Auction House, where it was going to be the first mixed reality work of art sold at auction. And this advertisement, promotional video, immediately touched off a lot of controversy in internet conspiracy circles and was downvoted massively on YouTube. Actually, the negative reaction became so intense that Microsoft actually removed the video from the internet, which threw more fuel on the fire in a way. Wow. It's pretty remarkable that the reaction would be that powerful to make this huge 
Seattle software company actually react to it. So who were these people who were driving the backlash to the Abramovich video? Well, it's hard to say. It's like a lot of things that happen on the internet. It has this very mysterious, decentralized origin. But Marina Abramovich has become a figure, a, a very symbolic figure in certain kinds of conspiracy circles to the point where her presence in this video immediately drew attention on Reddit threads and so on. And then all this was amplified by Alex Jones's Infowars site, the very popular alternative news channel that I'm sure people know is, is very controversial and, and extremely, extremely influential, including with our president. Jones himself has, you know, been uh, sued in the past for amplifying different kinds of conspiracy theories. He actually had to go to court himself to defend spreading untruths and rumor where he infamously claimed that he himself was like a performance artist. That was part of his uh, defense of himself and uh, is interestingly very clear in what he says now that he didn't start the fire. His site is not the first to take aim at this Microsoft promotional ad, although he is very clear that he does believe that Marina Abramovich is the high priestess of the church of Aleister Crowley, meaning the church of Satan, and that uh, he is fully co-signing the theory that she is uh, a symbol of evil and needs to be taken down. One other thing I'd mention is that it is not incidental that Microsoft, the company here, that's very important to this theory that Bill Gates in this current terrible moment we're in has also become a very important symbolic figure in certain kinds of fantasies about the evil cabal controlling the world. He is the world's richest man and he has been very involved through his charity work in public health causes. And so in anti-vaccine circles, which intersect heavily with conspiracy theory circles, he's trying to get everybody injected with some sort of mark of the beast. So when Microsoft and Marina Abramovic came together for this one ad, it really is kind of the perfect storm for people who believe in this particular theory. Okay, so we're going to try to shine a light on this fantasy that's affecting the art world. But before we get into that, we should point out that dealing with conspiracy theories is a little bit like getting into a tar pit. It's very hard to extricate yourself from it, and it also risks just creating more tension around it. But you have a a simple formula for when it's okay and when it's not okay to engage with an internet conspiracy theory. Can, Can you explain that? Yeah, well, that's a big question. The simplest answer is that these things actually do move a lot of people. You know, Roger Stone, who is a very influential figure in politics in the President Trump circles, has appeared on InfoWars. And he has specifically said, you know, you may not think much of Alex Jones's audience, but there are a lot of them and they vote. So it's worth paying attention to. But there is always a risk that the outlandishness of, of various kinds of claims you pick up on the internet are the vector of infection. So I think that a very simple formula or metric that I use is if something is 
already being talked about by more people than would read your commentary on it, then it's fair game. And actually, you should engage with it. And if not, then you should not engage with it. It's simply a matter of whether you're amplifying something that is insignificant simply because you're hungry for the attention that it would bring you or whether or not you assess that it is something that actually merits serious discussion. And in this case, I think it's indisputable that this Marina Abramovich New World Order conspiracy is something that very seriously shapes the public discourse about her artwork at this point. All right, that said, you started looking into this thing and you put on your detective hat and got your magnifying lens. What did you find? Well, I was aware that Marina Abramovich had become a sort of symbol for the online conspiracy community. I guess I wasn't aware of the depth of the investment in her. And a little bit of fishing led me to this video called Out of Shadows. I was actually posted, uh, again, in a terrible coincidence, I think, the exact same day that the Microsoft ad was posted. Huh. So is this by the time I had seen it, which was about a week later, after this controversy had already forced the Microsoft video offline, I think something like 7 million people had seen this online documentary and another 2 million over the the weekend. Um, I mean, I think that it's a legitimate internet phenomenon that's to be taken seriously. This is a documentary that looks at the theory that a secret cabal of Satanists are collaborating with the deep state to control Hollywood and entertainment. And it almost climaxes with the revelation that Marina Abramovich is a puppet mistress behind it all. Not exactly the center of the conspiracy, but very close to it. So in the art world, it should be pointed out that Marina is known as a warm, lovely person with a great sense of humor who's a joy to be around. But for those who are unfamiliar with the unconventional ways of the art world, she could seem a little bit unusual. She favors long flowing gowns. She lives in a house that is shaped like a star. She's often used skeletons, bones, and blood and nudity in her work. She once lay down in a gasoline-soaked pentagram and set it on fire. She works in, in this endurance mode that is really meant to push her body to the limit this is kind of strange to somebody who's, who doesn't know her work and is coming to it for the first time. How do you explain her whole approach? I mean, Marina Bravovic is not an extraordinary character to people who are immersed in art. And uh, performance art is notoriously exhibitionist, uh, involved in bringing in lots of different elements to different kinds of world rituals. So what she does isn't extraordinary. But not everybody loves Marina Abramovich, you know? And particularly her post-2010 period, after she sort of became this media figure, there are plenty of people in the art world who look at that and think that she's sort of crossed over into some sort of more lowbrow, kind of sensationalistic um, phase of her career that turn up their nose at it, think that 
There's plenty of more serious performance art, um, less sensationalistic performance art. There are legit criticisms of her. That's all I'm saying. So, I mean, this is not the first time that people have kind of been suspicious of the themes in Abramovich's work. And she's she's gotten protested in the past by some religious fundamentalists. And she's deliberately playing with this occult aesthetic. She's very adamant that this is not Satanism. I mean, she's really, for a long time, she's resisted even talking about this because she didn't want to, you know, throw fuel on the fire. But recently, after the Microsoft controversy, what did she say about these kind of accusations against her? Well, I mean, she said, you know, I'm I'm not a Satanist. And anybody who actually is familiar with my work, who uh, reads my biography, reads what I've said about my work, will understand that. You know, I've read her biography. I've talked to her biographer, James Westcott, for my piece. He points out, you know, she draws on a lot of different world traditions in her art, usually in a kind of irreverent way. I will say that it's a little futile to, and maybe even aside the point, to debate the specific references in this or that work. I mean, if you look at at something like Spirit Cooking, which is a uh, 1990s performance that's been posted online that is cited as Exhibit A in the fact that she's a not-so-secret Satanist. I mean, it contains satanic imagery. I mean, it involves painting on the wall with animal blood. And it is a little bit futile to deny the fact that it has sinister imagery in it, right? I mean, that's part of the point. What makes it futile to debate is that for the people who are most invested in these kinds of conspiracies, there is a heavy religious component. Mm-hmm. And we're really talking about two ways of looking at symbols that just don't line up. There is no conversation between them. The entire fundamentalist movement in religion comes from a pamphlet series called The Fundamentals. It started in 1910. So it's like, for us who are invested in art history and art theory, that's like classical high modern period. This is not a deep goes back to time immemorial phenomenon. Fundamentalism is a religious theory that emerges in the modernist period. And it is essentially opposed to symbolic interpretations of the Bible. So if you have a literal interpretation of what happened in the Bible as being true in a historical, real sense, and that is the fundamental symbolic way that you view the world, and you're going to look at images of crucifixes and pentagrams and the kinds of things you see in art, and you're going to interpret them literally. And that, of course, is not how I look at things. Most people who are involved in the art world look at things where people are constantly taking symbols, giving them new meanings, reprocessing them out of their histories, appropriating them in various kinds of ways, and so on. So you mentioned spirit cooking, and that seems to be the thing that has linked Marina in the minds of these conspiracy theorists to what is possibly the weirdest conspiracy theory of modern times, Pizzagate. (laughs) How does that work? Right. Well, um, actually, this is where Marina Abramovich emerges, I think, as a key symbolic node in these things, that during the 2016 election battle between Hillary Clinton and and Donald Trump, when WikiLeaks 
um, released a trove of emails from Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, John Podesta. In there was a single reference, uh, an email from John Podesta's brother, Tony Podesta, who's a very powerful power broker in Washington, D.C., and an art collector of some renown, asking him if he wanted to go to a spirit cooking performance from Marina Abramovich. And that was seized upon and immediately became used as proof that John Podesta and by extension Hillary Clinton were part of satanic rituals. Hmm. I mean, so you mentioned Tony Podesta and (laughs) he would make a pretty attractive satanic character because he moves in these shadowy circles of power as a lobbyist in Washington. He works with major companies, Democrats, Republicans, dictators without having any evident moral scruples. He likes to wear red. And his art collection is actually famously disturbing. Shoot, his own brother, John Podesta, remarked that uh, Tony Podesta's art collection was pretty out there. How would you describe his uh, taste in art? Well, I mean, uh, kind of ubermensch cheek. He, he, uh, yeah, this is a guy who likes to to shock people. And that really came back uh, to bite him once he got um, caught up in this conspiracy theory. If you go on the internet and look up the Heather and Tony Podesta art collection, what you actually find is a whole slew of these Pizzagate articles containing pretty freaky artworks, some of which have children in highly compromised positions. You know, it's really pretty disturbing stuff. But the thing is that these are not actually artworks in their collection. How how do you explain what's going on here with these images? Well, I mean, I think it's not that hard to to find artworks that are shocking to certain sensibilities. And Tony Podesta very specifically collected artwork that made people unsettled. The prize piece of artwork in his collection is a photo work by Sam Taylor Wood, who's a famous young British artist, and that depicted um, a nude Jesus Christ that he kept in center of his living room everywhere he went. And there's a very funny anecdote about, you know, he was connected with Hillary Clinton and her coming over and um, just trying really hard not to be photographed with it because it would look so bad, you know? So that, I mean, there's full awareness that this stuff was weird. It, it sort of makes you feel like if people are coming into the presence of your weird art collection, then you have a certain kind of power over them. But again, this is kind of already at three or four removes from the central thrust here. This guy, Tony Podesta, was a patron of Marina Abramovich. He supported her failed attempt to build a Marina Abramovich Institute in Hudson, New York through Kickstarter. And the spirit cooking dinner that became such a smoking gun for people was a prize offered for people who gave over $10,000. He invited his brother to that event. There's no real suggestion that his brother took up the invitation. He was, after all, busy with a lot of other things. And, well, it's easy to talk about how this or that artwork in the collection looks unsettling. There are also a lot of artworks in his collection um, that are more innocuous and familiar to people. But 
again, there's not really a lot of point debating um, specific works of art. In your essay, you come to a very interesting realization about this whole conspiracy theory that actually turned everything on its head. What did you realize? Well, this isn't necessarily um, a realization I came to through it. It's a reflection that I came to about thinking about what it means to write about it in the first place, because I do think you have to be pretty delicate about writing it. Like I said, I think that it's fair game and even something that is useful to explain to people because various kinds of conspiracy theories are animating people to protest right now. The world is very broken right now. People are in a lot of pain and therefore open to all kinds of explanations for that pain. I I think you got to take this stuff seriously. But at the same time, There is a lot of study about how not to write about conspiracy theories, that there is a lot of writing about how the debunking of them possibly amplifies them. The kind of article that that looks at these things and just points out how ridiculous they are is more about flattering the ego of the kind of people who don't believe it and appreciate reading something that makes them feel... Um, better about how sane and rational they are. But then again, that's not the average person who's like looking at these things. There's a huge mass of people who are just very confused and are just looking for explanations in the world. And these kinds of conspiracies tend to pick up various real insights about how broken the world is, you know, and connect with people sense that the world is unfair and rigged. You know, our government really did lie its way into a war in Iraq that broke a lot of people. The very small group of super powerful bankers really did crash the world economy 12 years ago and got away with it with impunity. And to a certain extent, the kind of tendency of the punditry to look at these kind of conspiracy theories and just say, neener, 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 this is so stupid. Mm-hmm. It sounds like you're dismissing the idea that the world is broken, that there's uh, sinister stuff going on. And so by drawing the, the, the line in the way it does, this stuff tends, I think, to push people over in that camp because they feel like um, some things that are very deeply felt and, and, oh. and, and have a lot of truth in them are, are being treated as, as silly ideas. I mean, I think it's interesting that this comes out of Hollywood because Hollywood famously treats actual themes in fictional constructs in these movies that they create. And you look at something like The Dark Knight Rises, and it's a parable about the surveillance state. And the surveillance state, you know, does exist. Is there a cape crusader named Bruce Wayne who lost his parents in a tragic crime and became the Batman? No, there isn't. That's a fiction. But the fact of the government surveilling people and using that for their own purpose is true. Yeah, let me, in the movie Out of Shadows itself, you know, it, it's effective because it centers around real human story, which is there are these two stuntmen who've worked on a lot of famous movies that people identify as things that they've, they've um, watched and enjoyed. Well, it ends with Marina Abramovich as the queen of darkness. It starts out with this ordinary guy who has worked in Hollywood for a long time and is not particularly invested in any of these 
conspiratorial ways of looking at the world, having an accident, you know, having an accident at work and essentially losing his livelihood and going to a physical therapist who is helping him back to health. And the physical therapist introduces all these theories that there is secret society controlling Hollywood connected to reactivating his religious beliefs. And I think that that's just a very useful narrative to have or to keep in mind that when people have traumatic experience of their livelihoods coming apart, of the world being broken, of feeling like they're thrown away, they don't have a place in the world anymore, which is explicitly how this stuntman talks about it. It is, it is a human reaction to become open to explanations that make you feel powerful in the center of the world again. And that's what these kind of very improbable uh, theories offer is a sense that you have the master code, that you have the ability to see through everything. And it's actually very interesting in the film that it starts out where it's like, oh, these these guys really worked in Hollywood. They're going to tell you these like secret things that they've seen, you know, hanging out with celebrities, the, the people pulling the strings, the actual agenda going on behind it. That seems like it's going to be the hook of the movie. But actually, it's, it's the reverse, that this guy has a accident. And then gets introduced into the, the, the world of online conspiracy theories. And through the, being familiar with those theories, then has this lens to look back on his experience. And he says, oh, yeah, I could see how some of the art that I saw at people's apartments kind of looks like Luciferian in its imagery. So maybe there is something to all this stuff online. Huh. Um, conspiracy theory is a lens through which to look at your experience and give it meaning. Um, and that is something that society is particularly open to at a moment when there's been huge traumatic disruptions and shifts, which is clearly the moment we're in right now. I mean, it's fascinating because the way you're talking about conspiracy theories sounds a lot like art in that people look to art for consolation in time of trouble. They look to art for the mirror that reflects back their experience, the lie that tells the truth. You know, in a lot of ways, the way that people are looking at someone like Marina Abramovich now is not that different than the way, um, I know this is an extreme comparison, but, you know, the kind of degenerate art way of looking at art. That during the Nazi period in Germany, you know, the modern art became this very useful prop for the, for the national socialists for Hitler's regime to hold up and say, like, look at these degenerate figures who have corrupted culture and have brought this evil material that has destroyed our great um, cultural traditions. And in fact, is a good index of like the artists we consider important from that time period are all included in the degenerate art show that was supposed to kind of uh, hold these figures up to ridicule because their artwork was unsettling. Their artwork was alienating. It serves as a convenient symbol of decadence and uh, a cult elite who is out to, to get the ordinary person, or it can be framed in that kind of way. Fascinating stuff, Ben. I think, you know, there's a lot to reflect on here, and it's, um, it's kind of a sign of the times in a way. Well, that's it for this week's episode of The Art Angle. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. 
The Art Angle is produced by Tim Schneider and Caroline Goldstein and edited by Nick Long. Thanks for listening and see you next week.